Well, praise God. Well, as we are, uh, Pastor Joseph just started last week stepping into chapter 13 of John's Gospel. And you'll notice that the tone is kind of shifted. We're seeing something a little bit different. We're actually starting to see the beginning of Jesus' farewell message to his disciples. Over the next several chapters, we're going to see Jesus' final teaching to his disciples, right? No longer in a public ministry. Matter of fact, this is just basically one night, Jesus spending time with his disciples and teaching him over the next several chapters. And this is an interesting one for us because we get much more information from John's gospel than we do from any of the other gospels. John goes into much more detail on Jesus' final night than any of the others. And if you actually have been following along, what's really interesting is, is the first 12 chapters that we've gone through covered a period of three years. right? So three years over 12 chapters. We're looking at four chapters per year. Well, the next six chapters are going to cover the period of one night. So we're getting a lot of information of what happens on this night. And you remember the last week Pastor Joseph shared with us how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, right? He was being the ultimate servant, being the ultimate example of, of how we're supposed to live our lives. And then he indicates that somebody there with him was going to lift his heel against him. In other words... Somebody there was going to betray Jesus. And today is a continuation of that kind of statement that somebody would betray Jesus, lift their, their heel against him. And uh, we see that Jesus is beginning to be troubled in his spirit. And instead of speaking in, and you know, someone's, uh, you know, someone's heel is going to be lifted against us, he's actually going to, to flat out say, somebody here is going to betray me. And after he does that, he actually indicates who it is. And, uh, you know, if, if you've never read this before, plug your ears, but it's Judas. Spoiler alert. Judas, he points to Judas and uh, he says to Judas, you know what, go ahead and do what you're going to do quickly. And then afterwards, he gives the disciple and, and, and really us a new commandment that we're going to follow. And then finally, we see Peter get upset <laughs> that Jesus is going to leave him. And he says, I want to die with you. And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? You're actually going to deny me three times before the night's over. So with that little quick overview, a quick recap, let's go ahead and get into it. In uh, John chapter 13, verse 21, it says, After saying this th these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now you've got to imagine sitting there in this dinner, right? They're enjoying the Passover feast with Jesus. It's these group of men that have been following Jesus. This is supposed to be a celebration, right? They're, they're celebrating how God had, had saved them uh, out, of, out of Egypt. And, and uh, it's, this is supposed to be a, a joyous time of remembering the Lord, but quickly the tone is going to, to shift and like I said, Jesus had just told one of them that, that they were going to lift their heel against him. And then now he just flat out says, one of you guys is going to betray me. Now I imagine that this information would shift the mood of any gathering. I mean, can you imagine being at a nice dinner with all your friends? And then someone comes out, 
one of you guys is getting ready to kill me. Can you imagine how the mood would shift, how things would change? Everyone's pointing, was it me? Is it me? Is it me? Everybody is wondering. And then have you ever, I, so this is, do you guys ever think about what's going through the people's heads when you're reading the Bible? This is stuff that, that you just have to think about, right? So have you ever <laughs> left like a Walmart and you're getting ready to, or any store, right? And you're getting ready to go through the, through the, the little things that go off if you have something. Have you ever had that brief moment of like, what if it goes off? Like, you know you haven't stolen anything. You know you haven't done anything wrong, but you're still like, what if it goes off? On a... Imagine these guys. They're like, is it me? Like, it can't be me, but what if it is? Can you imagine what's going through their head, their, their concern? Who's it going to be? So the mood has changed. Jesus is troubled, and he's, he begins testifying. One of you guys is going to betray me. And the one thing that, that I notice about this is when you look at this, it says Jesus is troubled in his spirit. One of the things that is clear as you read the Gospels is that Jesus is a man just like every one of us. He is fully man. He's, he, it's not like that he's, he, he, he's only partially in this space. But no, he was a fully man just, just like each and every one of us. And he experienced all the same emotions, all the same concerns, joy, pain. He got hungry. He had to use the bathroom. Like he was, he was fully a man. And, and he knows what's going to come, right? He knows that, that somebody who's supposed to be one of his best friends is about to betray him. And it's tearing him up inside. It's starting to hurt him. Or maybe he's just thinking ahead. Because the betrayal is going to hurt enough. But what comes at the end of that betrayal is one of the most atrocious things that's ever happened in human history. So Jesus knows that this has to happen. And it bothers him, right? It wasn't that long ago that he was praying, this, this could be taken away from me, take it away from me, Father. He's probably thinking about the implications of what this betrayal means. And there were several years ago, I, I did a message on, on, on Easter, and I'm thinking about doing a very similar message this, this Easter, but I called it real love. And really, I just went through and described what Jesus went through for, for each and every one of us. Has anybody ever seen The Passion of the Christ? Did anybody get, kind of get sick to your stomach? That's one of those that I watched that, and I was like, you know what, once is enough. I don't want to see what he went through again. But the reality is, is that was still uh, just a, a, a shallow demonstration of what he went through. It was so much worse than they could show in that movie. And Jesus isn't unaware of what's about to happen. That's why he was, he was sweating blood. Like he's, uh, He was a man just like us. He didn't want to go through this. And it's one thing to know that your best friend's going to betray you, but the, the outcome of that betrayal is going to be even worse. This is also one of those things that indicates to me, has anybody ever heard of uh, people complaining about, oh, how can you serve a God that's going to sacrifice his son like it's some sort of, of like holy child abuse? Has anybody ever heard that? Well, one, there's a couple things that you can say to respond to that. One is that Jesus is, is God, Right? You know, it's, it's not like he was being forced to do this. And this is the proof. Jesus wasn't being forced to do this. He gave up his life willingly. At any moment, he could have called down an army from heaven to, to, to rescue him from this. But he did it because he wanted to. This wasn't some sort of God forcing Jesus to do it. No, he did it because he loved 
you and me. He was fully aware of what was going to happen. And he wasn't thrilled about it. That's obvious. But he was still willing to endure the pain, endure the shame for the joy that was set before him, which was us. So even knowing all this, he begins to put the plan in motion and he lets them know that one of you guys is going to betray me. And in verse 22 through 24, it says, The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Like I said, as you can imagine, this kind of news is going to cause pretty big commotion at the dinner table. So now they're all concerned. Is it me? Is it going to be me? And, and part of you are thinking, well, they should know if it's going to be me or not, but we just talked about that example walking out of, you know, through, through one of the, the metal detectors or the scanners coming out. But also, we also find out, and we'll look at it in more detail in a second, but really they don't know how they're going to act, right? Peter says, I would never, I would never deny you, and what does he do? The very thing that he, he thought that couldn't ever happen. You know, how many times has so, something happened in your life that you thought you would never do? but you did it anyway. You know, one of the things that, that I, I think about is I hear stories of missionaries who, who give up everything, and I wonder, would I behave in the same way? You know, and I pray that I would remain strong in the faith. I pray, but I'm not going to be uh, uh, naive enough to say that I know exactly what's going to happen because you don't know how you're going to respond in those situations. And I don't know, you can judge me or think less of me if you want. I'm just being honest with you, right? Peter didn't think anything was going to happen either, but you saw what happened to him. So there's this commotion going on. They're wondering, is it me? Is it me? You'll notice that nobody thought it was Judas, which is interesting to me. That anyone that was so close to Jesus could do such a thing, that was just unthinkable. Right Now we know it was Judas. Like we have the benefit of hindsight. We know it was Judas, but apparently Judas had covered his true intentions so well that nobody had any idea that it was going to be him. They were all just wondering, who, who was it going to be? Nobody thought, yeah, it's probably Judas. <laughs> he, he looked just like the rest of them. He acted just like the rest of them. The only person that knew it was going to be Judas was Jesus. <laughs> And like I said, I imagine some of them are wondering, is it going to be me? And, and I don't know if you know this, but Peter's got a pretty strong personality. Right? You know, ultimately, he's the one that kind of leads the church after, after this, everything is said and done. Right? When they go to, to uh, uh, capture Jesus later, he's the one that pulls out the sword and just lops the guy's ear off. He's, he's, he's pretty bold. He's pretty brazen. So he wants to know, who is this that Jesus is speaking of? The problem is, is they're, they're, they're at this dinner table, right? And in my head, when I thought about this stuff before, I don't, I don't know, it, maybe this is weird, but like when I think of them all sitting around the table, like I don't know if maybe I thought I saw Jesus sitting in the middle and everybody was equidistance so they could all hear him. But if you think about it, when you have dinner and you have a bunch of people, have you ever had dinner at your house with, you know, 12, 13 people? You ever notice that conversations are like in little pockets, 
right? Because you can't all talk to each other. There's just too much space in between them. So Peter wants to know what's going on, but he's not actually close enough to Jesus to have a private conversation with him. The only, one of the, the two people that are close enough to Jesus is, is John, right? This is the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And then it's, a, it's apparent that Judas was the other one because he had to be close enough for Jesus to give the morsel of bread that we'll look at in a second. So Jesus has is, is got uh, Judas on one side, John on the other. Peter's too far away to talk to Jesus, but he wants to know what's going on. And like I said, he's got a pretty brazen personality. He probably wants to deal with this right now. Jesus, tell me who it is. Let me be heathen just for a few moments. We'll take care of it. Right? That's probably what he's thinking. That's what I would have thought in the situation. I <laughs> think. Like, sometimes I think that now and I have to repent. Like... God, this is a bad situation. If I could just be heathen for a few moments, I'll take care of it. But that's never the right answer. So he wants to get to the bottom of this, and he says, Hey, John, figure out who this is. John's close enough. So I I can't imagine the situation that they're in. I can't imagine... I don't know. I, I look at the whole situation, and it kind of blows my mind that Judas that Judas would do this. Like, what is going through that dude's head? I mean, he saw everything that Jesus did. He saw all the miracles. He saw all the same evidence that everybody else saw. But I guess that's true for people today, right? I mean, it's easy to look at the evidence for God. It's easy to look at the evidence for the resurrection if you'll just take a few moments to look at it. But even people that do take a few moments to look at the evidence of the resurrection, the evidence of the crucifixion, the evidence that Jesus was a real person, which actually isn't contested by anybody, the, the, all the different philosophical and scientific arguments for God, which there is a ton. It's so strange to me that, that all these people look at the same evidence and, and come to different conclusions. But to me, I can't, seem to, I can't come to any other conclusion. So the whole situation is just surreal to me that, that somebody would even betray Jesus. But as you guys know, it was all part of God's plan. So as we continue on in verse 25 and 26, it says, So the disciple leaning back against Jesus, this is John, says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Like I said, John was very close to Jesus. As a matter of fact, here it says that he was literally leaning back on Jesus. And this is a whole different culture as well. Like, if we went to a men's meeting and, and, and people just started laying against me, like, <laughs> that might be kind of weird. But uh, at any rate, so yes, nobody would lean against me. And we can still be close without you being all up on me. So, but at any rate, so, but he's, he's, they're, they're close, right? He's leaning back against Jesus, and he's close enough that he can ask this personal question. So he asked Jesus privately, who is this betrayer going to be? And Jesus tells him, listen, it's going to be the person that I take this morsel of bread and dip it in the sauce and give it to. And when Jesus did this, not only did he point out who the betrayer would be, but he actually extended one last expression of kindness and friendship to Judas. You see, when you're having dinner like this, when the host offered a a morsel of bread to somebody, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of kindness. And Jesus knew what Judas was about to do, but he still extended this one last expression of kindness. Jesus does it 
to, I don't know, maybe just show them one more time that he still loved them, that he still cared for them, and, 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 and maybe hopefully Judas would realize that he didn't have to do what he was about to do. But in complete contrast, we're going to find later, Jesus, before Judas betrays him, offers one act of kindness, of friendship. But the very thing that Judas does to point out Jesus later is to kiss him, which is also an expression of friendship and kindness. Jesus shows love where Judas uses the very same sign, type of sign, to betray Jesus. And then right after that, in verse 27, it says, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. So as soon as Judas had taken the morsel of bread, it says Satan entered into him. Satan began to influence him even more than he already had. And we have to be careful to think that, that like everything was normal, and then all of a sudden Judas went, Oh, I know. Because this had already been planned, right? He had already met with the, the religious leaders. He had already accepted a price, 30 pieces of silver. Like, he, he knew what he was going to do, yet he still accepts this, this act of friendship, this act of kindness. He keeps putting on the show. But now the plan was to be set in motion. And Satan's influence has increased in his life. And, and one of the things that we have to understand is that just because Satan entered into him and began to influence him even more, doesn't absolve Judas of his own responsibility for his actions. Because Judas still made the choice to do all these things. Matter of fact, Judas went ahead and had all this set up, stuff set up ahead of time. You know, one of the things that I'm often reminded, I remind myself, is, is that the devil can't read your thoughts. The devil is not omnipotent. Matter of fact, he can't even be everywhere all at once. He's not omnipresent. So him and his demons and those things, they can't read your thoughts. He doesn't know what you're thinking. So how, do, how does the, the, the enemy know what your thoughts and desires are? It's based on your actions. He sees what you're doing. And then he knows how to, to influence you, how to tempt you, how to get a hold of you, not because he can read your mind, but because he sees what you do. So at this point, Satan has taken advantage of Judas. And, and I don't know what, what happened. What is it that triggered Judas? Was this his plan from the beginning? Or did, did something happen? Was Judas embittered because Jesus said he was going to die even though Judas was expecting the same political hero, the same political savior as the rest of the Jews? Was he upset that Jesus wasn't who he expected him to be? Or was he kind of getting back at Jesus for calling him out? Remember when he criticized Mary for breaking the alabaster, alabaster vial? He says, no, this could have been given to the poor. Although we know at this point, based on what John said, that he was already a little shady at this point. He was, he was lifting money off the top of the, of, the, of the coffers. But Jesus called him out on that. Remember, he said, wait a minute, she should have done this. And Jesus didn't side with him, but instead he called him out and said, no, you know what, you're going to always have the poor, but you'll only have me for a little while. But whatever the reason it was, whatever put Judas on this path, it was the worst decision that has ever been made in the history of the world and he's going to be receiving his due reward for eternity. 
And whatever Jesus thought, or whatever Judas thought, Satan thought he was about to be victorious. He had influenced one of Jesus' closest disciples, and as a result, he was going to be able to set things in motion to have Jesus killed. He thought he'd won. He thought he'd finally done it. He finally foiled God's plan. But the reality was is that this was always God's plan. And Satan unwillingly ensured that God's plan would come to fruition. Satan thought Jesus' death was the end of the Savior, but the reality is, is that Jesus' death and subsequent uh, resurrection was necessary in order for us to be saved. So Jesus, right after giving the bread to Judas, he says to him, what you're going to do, go do it quickly. Because the time was now that God had ordained for the world to be saved. And I don't know about you, but I think about this stuff too, and I'm like, did, did Satan just like miss this obvious sign that this is what God wanted to have done? Like, Sometimes I wonder if, if Satan's just kind of dumb. <laughs> because like, he's like, oh, it's going to work out. It's finally going to work. I'm going to have Jesus killed. And Jesus says, go do what you're going to do quickly. Like, wasn't that a sign that like, maybe Jesus wanted this to happen? I don't know. These are just some of the things that I think about when I'm reading this stuff. I, I, I don't have all the answers to them, but I wonder. Someday we'll have the answers. And then in verse 28 through 30, it says, now, to the, no one at the, now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Now, <laughs> I've always wondered, why didn't everybody immediately freak out when it was obvious who the betrayer was going to be? Right? Because Jesus said, the one I give the morsel to. And, and I've always wondered, like, why, why isn't everybody like, know who it is? And it says right here, they, they have no idea why he said this to Jews. He had no idea. They, they didn't know what was going on. But then, remember what I told you about, right? How did this, how did this dinner look? They're all at a big table. They're all separated. Only two are close to Jesus where they can have private conversations. So really, the only person that knew who the traitor was, was John. Because he was speaking to Jesus in private. They didn't actually, nobody else actually heard what was said to John. Nobody else heard the clue who I give the morsel to. And it appears that John didn't even have enough time to signal to anybody because immediately after Jesus gives the morsel to Judas, Judas has, gets up and takes off. Or maybe John just missed the, the, the handoff, or, or John missed it. It's, it's not, obviously, it's not real clear why they didn't freak out, but, but we, can, we, can, we can surmise that the rest of them didn't know because they didn't hear what was said to John. And I'm not sure why John just didn't go, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I would have done, I think. But uh, so the rest of the guys, they, they hear Jesus say to, to Judas, go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. And they have no idea what he's talking about. They don't have the context that John has. 
And they all just assumed that because uh, Judas had the money bag, he was either going to go buy some food or give money to the poor or do something like that. They certainly, nobody guessed, still nobody guessed it was Judas, right? Nobody was thinking, like, oh, he must be the one that's going to betray him. Now, Judas apparently covered his tracks very, very well. So directly after receiving the bread, Judas heads out to betray Jesus. And then John notes that it's night. Because after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Seems like a, a, a weird thing to put there. And the truth is, with any of the other Gospels, it would more than likely just simply be a statement of what time of day it is. But you'll notice as we've gone through this, G, or John is a, is a big fan of, of themes. And one of the big themes that we go through in the book of the Gospel of John is this idea of light and darkness, even day and night. John is, is, is probably indicating that this is Jesus or Judas leaving the light. He's heading out into the night. Or maybe it was a reminder from earlier in John 12, 35 through 36, it says, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. It could also be John thematically letting us know that the light was soon to no longer be with us. We're heading into night. Amen? And then in John 13, 31 through 32, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Once Judas left, we're seeing a transition into God's final plan of salvation. There would be no more delay. There would be no more hiding. There would be no more pushing off the inevitable because God's timing had been entered into. And from a human perspective, what happens next is just the result of an awful betrayal of a close friend that ends in a gruesome and hum humiliating act of, of suffering with Jesus on the cross ultimately ending in his death. From a human perspective, you're like, there is nothing good that can come out of this. There is no way. And matter of fact, that's what all the disciples thought as well. That's why the, the, all of Jesus' disciples scattered and were, were crushed. They didn't understand what was going on because from a human perspective, the enemy had won. All their hope for salvation, all their hope for the Messiah had been crushed. There was, there, there was nothing positive that could come out of this. But God had other plans. You see, from God's perspective, a divine perspective, this was the time when the Son of Man, Jesus, would be glorified. And God would be glorified in Jesus. And if God is glorified in Jesus, God will glorify Himself in Himself and glorify Him at once. You see, we see the worst thing that could ever happen, but the truth is this was a time when God's glory was going to shine brightly. He was going to be glorified in every action 
that happened. And Jesus wasn't looking to the terrible things he would suffer, but rather to his resurrection and the, the, end, uh, the end result of what would happen. Because what the enemy thought was victory for himself was actually a humiliating defeat for him. And instead of God being thwarted, God would actually instead be glorified and we would receive salvation. And from this point of sending out Judas, there was no turning back. The wheels were in motion. There was no more waiting. He was about to be glorified at once. Soon, Jesus would be willingly giving his life so that we could live. Amen. And in verse 33 through 35, it says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So since the time is so near, Jesus begins to share his final teachings with his disciples. And he lets them know that he was only going to be with them for a little while longer. And the reality was is that they would seek him, but he would no longer be there. At least for a little while is what it says. Because previously Jesus had told the Jews that they couldn't follow him to where he was going. But now he tells his disciples the same. And then he's going to leave them one of the foremost commandments that he left for them, but also for us. And this commandment to love one another, he's not just talking about warm and fuzzy feelings. He's not just talking about like a, a sense of care. It's more than simply caring for one another because we're, giving a measure, we're given a measuring post. He says, listen, I give this commandment to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. You see, the measuring post for the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another is to love self-sacrificially, even going so far as to die for one another. This means that you can't just say it. This means that there has to be evidence for it. You have to show it. This is the kind of love that you can see. What do you mean, Pastor, that you have to show it in order for me to love? You can't tell me I have to show it in order for me to love somebody. But what the Scripture says is that by this people will know that you are my disciples. How will people know if they don't see it? How will they know? There has to be some sort of evidence for it. The kind of love that we have for one another should be evident in the way that we live our lives, the way that we, we, we care for one another, that we actually get together. The, you guys hear me say it all the time. The reason why we have the, the, the lunch once a month to get together is because we're a family. We should care about each other. There should be some indication that we want to be together and that we actually do love each other. When somebody's hurting, we should be there to help them. Not to, I'll pray for you, brother. That's good. Pray for them, but also go the next step. What do they need? Help them out. Our love should be demonstrated in the way that we live our lives and it should be evident to everyone around us so much so that they can know who we are because of how we love one another 
But the truth is, so many of us, not in this church, other churches, so many of us, and probably in this church too, let's be honest, so many of us look just like the rest of the world. We don't look any different. They would never know that we are different. I love that question that I asked. If it, was, if it was illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Many people would say no. Or at least they would say there's only, there's only enough evidence one day a week. Because one day a week I show up to church, but the rest of the week I look just like the world. But we should look different. There should be evidence that we're different. It shouldn't be this way with us. Our love should be visible. And like I said, it's not just a superficial love. But it's a love that is so potent that it would cause you to be willing to give up everything for the other person. Now you may not like that. You may think that's too far, but I didn't say it. Jesus did, so take it up with him. Amen? And we'll finish up here in verses 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where, you are go- where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Peter didn't misunderstand Jesus when he said that he would be going away. So he quickly asked, Jesus, where are you going to be going? And Jesus once again reiterates, where I'm going, you can't follow Peter. At least not yet. The truth is, is that they would all follow Jesus to death and then into glory, as all of us who follow Christ will. But Peter doesn't understand why he can't follow Jesus right now. See, the reality is, is that Peter loves Jesus. And he doesn't want to leave him. He doesn't want to be separated. He wants to remain with him always. But on the other hand, I, I, still, I think Peter does kind of understand what's coming because he says, you know what? I'd be willing to give my life right alongside yours. It's interesting to me that Peter would rather die for Jesus than let Jesus die for him. even though that's what's necessary. But I think so many people feel the same way today. They would rather do it on their own than to let God do it. They would rather do it on their own than accept that free gift of salvation. Some people think it's too easy. There must be a catch and they just don't understand how they they don't have to do something to earn it. But the truth is, it's a free gift. And we have to be willing to let Jesus die for us instead of trying to do it on our own. Believing that he gave up everything so that we could have everything. And the truth is, is it seems like Peter didn't really understand how we would respond anyway when faced with the reality of Jesus' death. He was convinced that he would give his life for him, but as soon as Jesus died, he ends up denying him three times. Jesus tells him, you know what? You think you're willing to die for me, will you? Because I'm telling you right now, you're going to deny me three times. And I wonder, 
what's going on at this time. We can conclude that Peter is obviously talking loud enough for everybody to hear because he's not near enough Jesus to speak privately. So this is a conversation heard by all the disciples. And I wonder if he's offended by Jesus telling him that. Although Jesus previously had called him Satan, so I don't know, maybe he's used to it. But I wonder if he's offended. I wonder if everybody else at the table is going, wait a minute, is it Peter is going to want to be the, be the one to betray him? Jesus just said that Peter's going to deny him. Maybe it's, maybe it's Peter. But regardless of what anybody thought, Jesus spoke the truth. They couldn't follow him. And that he would only be with them a little while longer. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and, and end it there today. We'll continue following this storyline next week. And uh, it's good stuff. It's exciting stuff. And, and the reality is, is that this is the picture of, of God giving up everything so that we could live. Amen? It's an amazing story and an amazing gift. And... Uh, and I would just encourage you to, to, one, for yourself, don't ever find yourself in the trap where you're trying to do it on your own. And two, share this story with everyone. Because he died for them just as much as he died for you. Amen.